Something needs to happen with this comedy thing right now. My name is Alan, and you are listening to Learn Life. Everybody's been asking me, where are the jokes? Come on, bro, make us laugh. Okay, so today, everything is funny. All things comedy, and it's just for you. It's funny because I usually hate (laughs) when people say that stupid shit. Hi, guys. So since everybody's been asking me about my skincare routine, nigga, nobody fucking asked you that. Your face looks like a fucking Nestle Crunch Bar. You're fucking ugly, and your breath stinks. And I don't like that. I don't like you being ugly or that lie. I don't like it. People in this country need reminders to wash their hands properly. And you telling me people are asking you for your skincare routine? Man, fuck you. People actually do ask me to deliver funnier episodes. And it's like, you do realize I'm in a global pandemic too, right? Like everything you're trying to escape from the heightened racial injustice to this election cycle to whatever. Like I'm a human being trying to navigate that too. And I don't feel like being fucking funny right now. So go fuck yourself. And I find myself thinking about this book tour that I was supposed to go on this year to promote my book, Yes, We're Haitian, which is available everywhere you buy books. It's a phenomenal, transcendent piece of art. I suggest you read it. And I couldn't do it. The pandemic robbed me of that tour, even something smaller than that. I like selling my books hand to hand, going to the college campuses and talking to the students. Say it's like somebody in the Bronx needs a book. I'll hop right on that RFK or I'll take the train to get it to them face to face, touching and talking to the people, not being able to do that fucks with me. And I know all the real hustlers listening, like ain't no pandemic stopping me, nothing stopping me from getting it. That's right. You're going to get it. Now you breathe in like the piece of shit they call a president. You can't out hustle science, nigga. So congratulations. You really are out here getting it. Then it's like... Sometimes I work myself into a state of anger, but then I'm like, it's not me. Like, look around. Everything is not fine. And then it's weird because I kind of take solace in the fact that the shit isn't just happening to me. Like the whole country, the whole world is dealing with some form of bullshit. But then it's like, that's when the great ones deliver. The greatest rise to the occasion when everything else is going to shit. You know, it doesn't so much have to be an escape from reality as it has to be painting reality, but in a more comforting manner. The world is on fire around us and it's artist's job to make the fire feel like warmth because, you know, our people are in pain and we need someone. We need something to make us feel something other than burnt out. And something I tell myself all the time doing the quote unquote work when you don't feel like it. That's the difference between being a nigga that was just there and being that nigga. And comedy for me is something that I take very seriously, which is ironic, of course, because while I love making people laugh, I don't want to ever be the joke. There's a huge difference between people laughing with you and people laughing at you. And of course, you know, self-deprecation is a form of comedy, but that's because it takes balls to be that vulnerable and say relatable shit that most people are embarrassed to speak on. Speaking of which, you know, I tried my hand at stand up once and I was fucking terrible at it. I bombed on stage so bad one night 
it was this uh, rap showcase and I was doing the intermission. They played Return of the Mac for me. I got on stage, I put my arms out and I looked up and the stage light hit my face. It was hot. Now, I told some stupid joke about a midget and Marco Polo. And I didn't even remember the punchline because that light was just in my face hot. And they just started the music on me. Like they sandmanned me. And I went on that stage with all the confidence in the world. I was cool as a fucking cucumber. But when I got off, I was sweating like Patrick Ewing in 94. I was so fucking embarrassed. That's another one of those moments that told me to stick to writing comedy. But one day I looked across the mat, saw Biggie. So basketball's been my sport ever since. I can find humor in anything. I'm rarely offended by jokes, but I'm not anybody's God. I don't control who is offended by what. Sometimes I find humor in that because it's ridiculous to me how offended everybody is. But empathy and ego don't work in tandem. So I respect what it is and I keep it moving because comedy isn't about going out of your way to offend someone. It's about not caring if you do. And my thing used to be going out of my way to offend people. I was willing to say anything so long as it got me a reaction because it was legitimately just jokes to me. But there was a very thin line between my jokes and the reality of my punchlines. I was out of character because my jokes didn't match the energy of who and how I am. It's something I had to unlearn and it's something that I had to correct because, you know, when you get that momentum, you start buying into your own hype. But the more you buy your own hype, the more you lose who you really are. And it's like there's playing a character. Then there's becoming a caricature that makes you question your character. So I won't sit here and pretend that I'm this high and mighty, perfect, whatever, because I refuse to project that. Being stubborn about the right to be offensive is bozo behavior. And what that says is, you know, I'm not funny. I just know how to be loud and I just know how to be obnoxious. So, you know, it's best for us to find a new way. And my new way was to, you know, specialize in making the most, you know, mundane and nonsensical shit entertaining. Like I would write articles about coffee, white socks, shit. Go back to the episode where I took 90s R&B songs and made them funny. It's like when Jack Nicholson was in The Departed and he was talking about John Lennon. He said, I'm an artist. You give me a fucking tuba and I'll get you something out of it. I had to figure out a space where I could be funny without being belligerent and purposely offensive to you know, any person or persons. And being self-deprecating is one route, talking about getting older, balding, etc., and talking about insignificant shit. Like I said, the coffee, the White Sox, whatever. Yet somehow people found that offensive and they wanted to argue with me because I said, fuck coffee. So today, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I'm here to apologize to your espresso. I'm sorry, coffee. <laughs> like, look, I'm... A Haitian man who grew up in New York City during the 1990s, which meant I was the quote unquote punchline to every joke. And now today I don't play with anyone making jokes about Haiti or Haitian people. It's not because I'm a hypocrite. It's because I grew the fuck up. You know, I won't lie. 
sometimes I look at people like you want to be offended. And that's the challenge. You can keep antagonizing people under the guise of funny, or you can find a way to bring humor out of things that everybody can laugh at. And that's where comedy and society are right now. You can flex your ability to be funny in all spaces, or you can push back and yell at people while calling them soft. See, for me, I feel like you have to build up enough trust with people who fuck with the work. And then you'll be you know, allowed to present humor in a more provocative manner. Because to be a provocateur is to know when and who to push and when to cross that line. You think anybody's ever going to care if you make jokes about Donald Trump? You could be as offensive as you want to be. So everybody looks around and like they pride themselves on you know making something out of nothing. But if that's the case, why would we insist on making jokes one way? See, society loves to wave mediocrity in our faces under the flag of consistency. Consistency only counts if you're consistently improving. So why double down on ignorance when we know better? It's not noble. We have to be more fluid and actively seek to learn so you know we'll grow and in turn you know our art and our comedy will too you gotta grow up you're not a kid anymore you hear me you, you, you gotta grow up i watched moonlight for the first time the other day and this has to be said fuck a la la land and fuck the oscars forever for that stupid stunt that they pulled because fucking moonlight was great I didn't watch it for a long time because I like watching films when the hype dies down so I can watch it without expectations. And there was a scene where he was still little and all the kids were just running around in a field playing. And that scene fucked with me because when you're a kid, you have this naive innocence where you're just carefree and fuck it. You could just run around chasing your friends, laughing and just be could just be happy. And the older that we grow, slowly but surely, reality takes that innocence away from us. All I want to do is run and laugh and not give a fuck, but that's not reality. You want to know why I bring Martin up all the time? Because he and his show remind me to run. I'm fucking tired of having to fight for everything. I'm tired of having to go the extra mile. I don't want to be applauded for grinding. I want to enjoy some of this shit. I want to laugh too, but that's not reality. Reality is I do more with less than any other writer that I know. Shit, any other creative person that I know. And the thing that I fight for the most is the ability to run free. I watch Martin and he reminds me why I started. Martin Lawrence is my favorite comedian ever. Favorite, not best. We need to start learning and understanding that difference. And for my money, Martin is the first comedian of hip hop. I understand there have always been rappers who gave us comedy in their songs and such, but I'm talking about Martin as the first comedian who fully embraced hip hop as part of his identity. Sure, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air exists, but Will Smith is not a comedian. And let's be honest, what could you relate to more? Can you relate to moving in with your rich uncle who has a butler? 
or a dude who struggled with maturing but would do anything for his lady and it frustrated him so much that he would rather leave than give her the bare minimum was martin ridiculous fuck yes i don't think that shit would work in 2020 but it is the show of our generation like in living color existed and that show is legendary living single existed that show is legendary but martin is the show of my generation and for the love of everything holy please do not reboot that show martin lawrence wasn't just his show i can sit here right now and recite you so crazy from the top of my head i've watched house party one and two more times than i'm comfortable admitting thin line between love and hate blue streak boomerang in life when he was performing with the goat when i see or hear martin lawrence i think of our culture i think about what life should what life should be what life should feel like and that's free to be ourselves while laughing and while running it says to pace you just have to fucking read to pace use your vowels eddie murphy is the fucking goat his resume speaks for his fucking self i mean how many all-time great comedians have classic films plural classics Eddie Murphy is the list. He has classic stand-ups. He put Saturday Night Live on his fucking back. And he has bona fide classic films. Eddie Murphy checks every single box that a comedian would want to check. But it runs deeper than that. Think about Coming to America, which is the greatest film of all time in any genre. And I'm never budging off of that. Just think about it. How many white people had speaking roles in coming to america because i can only think of four to five off the top of my head the body by jake dude he was the, the taxi driver when they came to queens louis anderson as the mcdowell's worker uh ralph bellamy and donna michi they were reprising their role as from trading uh, places and the white lady on the train who told lisa to go ahead and get with the king you see representation does matter but eddie murphy was doing that in 88 and I understand that a white man got credited with directing the film, but Eddie Murphy ran everything on that set. Then think about Boomerang in 1992. That's the exact type of world that I want to live in. Black people in a position of power without it being a novelty or a plot device or anything goofy. It was simply the norm. Then if you really, really examine Boomerang, the nepotism born of it is fucking beautiful. The nepotism born out of that film extended itself to the creation of Martin because they came out in the same rear and Martin was a supporting character. He played Tyler in Boomerang, but then he got his own show and Tisha Campbell was in Boomerang and she obviously played Gina and David Allegrier was in Boomerang and he ended up being on Martin playing Leon Lonnie Love. So was John Witherspoon who played Martin's uncle Jr. So was B.B. Drake played Myra. You know, you got to go to work on Myra's feet. Chris Rock, who played Boney T, he appeared as uh, Valentino on Martin. Then you have Eddie Murphy. He might have not been on Martin, but his brother was. May Charlie Murphy rest in peace. See, that's the type of world that I need to live in. And I'll always work hard to create that type of world because we need to build 
and we need to put each other on every opportunity available instead of the, you know, underhanded and despicable shit that I be seeing going on, the despicable shit that I be feeling going on. Eddie Murphy fought for us to have nepotism. So why are we still fighting for representation instead of, you know, enjoying the fruits of his labor? Is representation important? Fuck yes, it's important. None of us would be doing this thing we do without it. But it's almost disrespectful to the people before us for us to keep fighting the same fight they fought instead of taking it further. Because if the young people of 2040 are fighting the same fight that we're fighting today, then what the fuck did we accomplish? We own dick. Do you like baseball? We own dick. Own dick for what? For what? That upper room, nigga. The upper room. I'll never get over the fact that people try to rationalize Netflix lowballing Monique. Monique is an all-time great comedian. And I feel like, you know, people forgot that. Not because she fell off, but because she was busy winning a fucking Oscar. And she ended up getting blackballed for wanting to leverage her success. I was under the assumption that an Oscar was the golden ticket. So I guess that applies for everybody but black women who aren't afraid to speak for themselves because she's difficult to work with. Well, I fucking heard that uh, Charlize Theron is an absolute bitch and it ain't stopped nobody from giving her everything that she demands. It's like if Rich Paul was white. If Rich Paul was white, they'd call him a shark. But because he's black, they have to paint him as this evil entity that's ruining sports. And to watch black people do it to me, that's the thing that hurt the most. It was black people that did it to Monique. Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels, Oprah, those are the people responsible for ruining her reputation. Monique is one of the greatest comedians ever, man or woman. She has every right to fight for what she believes in. And we should all be standing behind her and her fucking Academy Award. See, here's my thing. When people start calling someone crazy, it lets me know that that's the person who's right. Because that's America's MO. They vilify you. They copy you. Then they act like they're doing you a favor by throwing you some scraps when you actually cook the meal. But because Monique is a black woman, she has to jump through hoops to prove what she deserves. And it's hilarious to me because everybody acted like Monique was bugging, but then celebrated the Parkers finally coming on Netflix. It's like how everybody was so fucking upset when no murder charges were pressed in Louisville, but then the next day, everybody was sitting there listening to that petite bitch named Tory Lanez. Is it Black Girl Lost or is it Shorty Owe You for Ice? Monique deserves whatever the fuck she wants. If Monique was a black man, everybody would rally behind her and tell Netflix to go fuck itself. I hope Monique gets every million she wants from them. And then some. I got my cock sucked. <laughs> they call it cock. <laughs> They're like, nigga, you got your dick sucked. Dave Chappelle is an artist. He's the Basquiat of comedy. The genius in him jumps out when we need it the most. Now, do I agree with everything he says? <laughs> I don't even agree with everything that I say because I'd be changing my mind like shit. So no, he isn't perfect, but he speaks from his heart and he speaks from his mind. And, you know, I understand when and if he offends people, but my only issue with it is that he explains himself. I hate that. If you're going to be unapologetic and raw, 
be unapologetic and raw. Stand on that. And I think about Kevin Hart. He got it right now. There's no way to go. There's no two ways about it. And he's taking comedy to heights that we've never seen. And he should be applauded for that because his work ethic is second to none. I feel like people always look for what he isn't instead of enjoying him for what he is. And I feel like that's the world in general. Why do we always have to look at people for what they're not instead of celebrating who they are? And if you didn't know, my biggest comedic influence is Paul Mooney. I would go to Caroline's to see him, the Caroline's in Manhattan, and I would sit in the front row. And I'm not saying that to show off. I'm saying that because I wanted to be that close to his greatness, the honesty, the tone in which he speaks and being the guy behind the scenes. Like Paul Mooney has a legit case for being the goat of comedy. He wrote for Richard Pryor. He wrote on In Living Color. He wrote on Chappelle's show. He helped Ice Cube and DJ Pooh with Friday. DJ Pooh told me that. Paul Mooney has a legit case to be the goat. Paul Mooney is the thread between all generations of comedy. And the crazy thing is, his albums, his stand-up special, his work, it's more relevant now in 2020 than any other time in our lives. I'm also very, very inspired by the genius known as Issa Rae. She is the absolute blueprint. She wrote a book, did a show online based on it, and then took it to the quote-unquote big leagues. I have an emotional attachment to Issa Rae's success, and I'm working on following in her footsteps. And last, but definitely, definitely not least, Felonious Monk. He taught me that where I start isn't where I have to end up. He showed me that I can be more than what the world told me I have to be. To see him on an ABC show tells me that I can do whatever. Not on some jealousy, yo, if that nigga can do it, I can't. No, but on some inspired and motivated shit like, yo, if that nigga can do it, he lets me know that anything is fucking possible and I definitely can do this. And I'm very happy to watch him do the impossible. That's my time. You've been listening to Learn Life. My name is Alan. And remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is your own reflection. I'll see you on the other side. All over the goddamn world, they copy us, okay? Our music, the way we walk, the way we talk, they all are influenced by us, so they don't fool me. We're the shit, okay? Yeah, y'all done got quiet and got scared.